So when you talk about like switching camera brands, it's not like you see on YouTube when people are like, I switched to whatever. Like if you're a working professional, it's really hard to switch camera brands for all those reasons. And like, if I handed you a brand new Sony camera, like you can't go and shoot with it tomorrow. Like you have to practice, you have to learn it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Hive podcast. I'm excited to do this live again. Uh, I'm enjoying doing these live and we have Josh Satin waiting in the green room to come on the show. We're gonna talk about cameras. It's been a while since I've had like a deep dive into camera talk and just just nerding out on cameras. So we're gonna talk about, is it possible to find a camera that fits all your needs? How do you select it? Like what, what do you even look at? There's so many options and there really isn't a bad camera now in 2023. You hear that all the time, but there really isn't. It's just finding the one that fits your needs without having to spend a, a ton of money. But because we are live, we do have some people in the chat. So Kyle Watts is here. Kyle, what's up, dude? Um, let me drag this into the center a little bit of the screen. So yeah, like I mentioned, we are live. If you're listening to this after the fact, which is totally fine, I appreciate you listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple or watching it on YouTube after the fact. But if you want to be a part of the show and watch these live, I'm going to be doing more and more live streamings and live tapings of the podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the to the YouTube channel. That way you don't miss out on any of that. But Let's go ahead and get Josh on the show. And before we get too far into it, if you do like this and you are watching live, make sure you give it a thumbs up. I do appreciate it. And if you're listening in Spotify, pause the show, or not Spotify, in Apple, pause the show, leave a review, five-star rating, even if it's just a thumbs up emoji, I appreciate it. But let's get Josh on the show. Josh, what is up, dude? Make sure you're unmuted. Hey, Jared. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> that was a lot there. How you doing? Yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, this is, I feel like it's been a long time since we like actually had a good chat. And of course you want to talk about cameras, which is like, I'm, I guess I'm the guy to call for that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's been a while since you've been on the show. We were talking about this before we started, uh, before we went live and started recording. I went to put in the info for the show, like all your socials. So if you want to, if you guys want to check out what Josh does, it's down in the description right now, if you're watching live and I was like, oh, I'll just go back to the last show and copy and paste be super easy. That way I don't have to look everything up again. And I had to go pretty far back. I, it doesn't feel like that long ago, but the last time you were on the show was October of 2021. We're recording this in March of 2023. <laughs> Does not feel like that long ago. No, no. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be here to talk and yeah, lots changed. I'm sure for both of us. And, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you want me to give a little bit of an update if people like know who I am or what? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about what you're doing now. So last time you were okay. on the show, uh, you were doing your farming channel. You did a little bit like behind the scenes documentary stuff for kind of farm to table stuff, uh, uh, sustainability with with farms and and restaurants and stuff, which was really cool. But now you've kind of at at the time you were just starting your camera channel, but now you're just full blown camera channel doing client work, and you started a podcast, right? Yes, absolutely. So I got into YouTube through my farming channel, which as you said, is about small scale sustainable farming. And that's where I learned videography and fell in love with cameras and making content and videography and, and all that stuff. I made a <clears throat> free course, which I put on my farming channel. It was 19 weeks long. I put out like 30, 40 minute videos every week for 19 weeks and did a live stream, live Q&A every week. I tried to, 
taught it like like a real course. I have a background in teaching. Um, and so when I was done with that, um, I kind of wrapped up most of what I wanted to talk about with the channel. And I actually took a break over the summer with farming, which most people think is crazy. But if you understand like the South and anyways, I've taken the summer off and I decided to not plant in the fall. And so the camera channel, I had actually started a couple years ago and then paused it because I didn't like the direction it was going. And then when I restarted it, I had a new idea of what I wanted to do. So I got to restart with that. And after the course, I kind of started putting more time into it, taking a little bit more seriously and started seeing some growth and some traction. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. And now, you know, I was doing a little bit of client work, but then I got busy with the course. I put that off and I'm doing some of that now. And then, yeah, as you said, it started a podcast too with a, with a buddy of mine. So just just all in with this stuff. I just absolutely love it. It's so much fun. Well, you know, I love podcasting. So give me a little bit more details on <laughs> on the podcast, who who your uh, co-host is, what the what the show's all about. I want to hear it. Sure. So we're pretty early. We're uh, we just did our fifth episode. We posted this week as of recording this uh, or live right now. So <laughs> uh, this week. So it's called 16 Stops. Uh, we're releasing it only on YouTube, um, and it's a video podcast. My buddy, Brandon Talbot, who's also a content creator, he also has a channel that is not a camera channel. So his main channel is about fitness tech and sort of that sort and like health and well-being and sort of that sort of stuff. And so we're in there talking about camera gear, content creation, and filmmaking, videography, and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we talk about a lot of camera news and rumors, and then we usually dive into like one topic and we're trying to put it out once a week. So we've only missed one week so far. So doing, doing well so far. That's good, man. Get past that seven episode hump and you guys I know, are going to be golden. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, you know, talking to Tom Buck and he was like seven, you got to get past seven. I'm like, all right, seven, we'll get there. I'm curious for someone that has, is really experienced in the camera niche and has been doing it for a while. Podcasting can be its own beast, even if you're familiar, familiar with the gear and the process. What's been some of the challenges for you guys doing the podcast? Because I know you're not really taping it live either. Well, I mean, obviously you are, but you're doing like two different camera feeds too and, and cutting it in post, right? Which is, is a lot of work. Yeah. So I think the main thing is like, just the main thing is like the collaboration between two people and, and doing it remotely. So learning how both of us work learning our strengths and weaknesses, learning like, I'll take care of this, you take care of that. Um, but in terms of the production, I mean, I've done so many interviews, Jared, like I haven't had like a dedicated podcast, but I was doing a live interview show every other week on another YouTube channel with farmers for like a year. Um, so the interview discussion pot, and I've obviously been on a few podcasts and um, not just for camera stuff, but farming stuff. And so I'm very comfortable with the format. This is something that I've wanted to do for a long time and just haven't found the right opportunity to do it. But Brandon and I just were started to chat like all the time about this stuff. We're like we we should probably like put this out there because just record it, yeah, just record it, and that's sort of the idea. I mean, it's a little bit more structured than me just calling Brandon and say like, "Hey, let's talk about this." But yeah, I just felt like there's a little bit of a need for it. I think there's some we have some really honest, really like true, like legit discussions on there. Like we really talk about stuff. So yeah, people have been really uh, it's been resonating with people. So it's been it's been good so far. But we're almost at seven, so we're getting to eight, I guess. <laughs> there we go. I, I it's I, I checked it out a little bit. Uh, I need to watch more of it. Sorry, because it is only on YouTube. Uh, no worries. Man. Have you thought about repurposing the the audio so like it can live on other platforms? You know, if I'm driving. Yes. So yeah. So I'm sure we could talk about podcast theory. Like I, all right. So my take on it is, I think discoverability is really hard. 
if you're just going audio. One hundred. I my whole <laughs> my whole last week's episode okay. was about okay. this. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, and I watched that too. So, um, and so that's my big thing. Like Brandon and I are both YouTubers. We have a lot of uh, experience. If people are just watching this or listening to this, my farming channel has over two hundred and twenty thousand subscribers. So. For me, like I have a lot of YouTube experience. We know how to do titles and thumbnails. We know how to drive traffic. We have audiences that we can try to funnel over there and we want to get it monetized in the near future so we can like do other things with the podcast. Um, and so for us, it made the most sense to do it on YouTube because we know how YouTube works. We know we can get it seen. Like our first video got over 10,000 views. Um, and so that's pretty crazy. Like there was no way if I launched a brand new podcast, it would get 10,000 listens. Right. So that was sort of my thought process behind it. That is a, you know what? I haven't really heard anybody talk about that strategy because usually the strategy is we're going to get a podcast and we're going to get it everywhere, right? Everywhere that pulls from an RSS feed. And then if we have a video one, we'll we'll let it live on YouTube and maybe we'll put it on Spotify too since they incorporate video now. But I haven't really heard anybody say like, you can only <laughs> get our podcast on YouTube in video, but you're not, so you're not splitting all your analytics and all your listeners across all these platforms because right. me and right. Doc Rock have talked about this a lot. It's hard to get an accurate number of your podcast of like downloads and listeners because it's split through all these different platforms. You know, Spotify is not really telling you what's happening on Apple. Apple's not telling you what's happening anywhere else except what's on Apple. YouTube's only telling you what's happening on YouTube. And if people listen on all these other places, it's hard to get a sense where everybody's at, but you're just forcing everyone to go to YouTube. And it's actually kind of smart. Thanks. I mean, I'm, I'm very strategic with uh, content creation and um, it's also like putting all your eggs in one basket, but I'm very comfortable on YouTube. I know how it works. And now they're rolling out the whole podcast thing in YouTube, which I'm trying to figure out, but it's kind of like, I don't know what's going on. Um, but I had a feeling that this, I'd heard rumblings about this happening like months ago. And so I was like, I want to be on YouTube with podcasts. So not everyone's happy with it though. Somebody's like, can you release this in audio? I'm like, nope, just YouTube. <laughs> but there will be audio, right? On YouTube, on YouTube music. Okay. So you can, let's rewind for a second. If you didn't listen last week, we I talked about all about all about the changes coming to YouTube. So right now, for instance, like my podcast, if I go to my YouTube studio dashboard, there's a tab for podcasts and my podcasts show up there, right? Because it recognize it recognizes that this playlist is a podcast playlist. So it's just podcasts. So it's there. I'm thinking you're going to be able to probably put an RSS feed there too if you only have an audio version, which I would like to do because I didn't start doing video until like episode 30 something. So there's 30 plus episodes that aren't video that I, that I would like on YouTube music. Uh, so that's already there. If I go to YouTube music, my playlist is there, but you can't play it yet. So I think they're rolling it out in stages, the infrastructure, and it's just not, you're not able to actually hit play yet. But the cool thing is, since you're video first and not really doing an audio version, it should pull the audio on on YouTube Music. So if I start watching on YouTube and then I go to the car and I pull up YouTube Music on my phone and stream it to the car, it'll pick up where I left off and it'll just be the audio version, which is – so that'll be cool for you guys that you'll automatically have an audio okay, version. Okay, so – I'm just curious about analytics, monetization, like how all that sort of plays in if it's going to be counted the same. It's going to be on your YouTube dashboard already. It's already on your YouTube studio. So it should just go straight to your okay your, for that. But the audio for for monetization, I don't think they've really decided what they're doing with that yet. That's so. what Yeah, so that's a big question mark. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Like are they going to just but yeah, cut in our- ads into your your audio? I don't know. 
yeah, I don't know. It's all like, we don't know what's going to happen. And, um, you know, most people start an audio podcast and then they add video at some point. So we're just which like, is what I, I did. just, yeah. which is what most people do. Every progression I've seen, they're like, now we have a video version. And I'm like, we're just going to do the video version. Yeah. You know, have you been able so, to do anyways, it weekly? A, I know you missed one week, but is the, is the plan to roll out an episode every week? Yeah, we're really trying to do that. I'm a big fan of consistency. Uh, I know that's important for YouTube and it's not like one a week. It's whatever your schedule is, is in my opinion, with YouTube strategy, you, it's best to stick to a strategy that you can handle. It doesn't mean that like your audience is going to, if we did three podcasts a week, it's not going to do three X better. It's probably gonna do like 1.3 X better, you know, like, so there's a, there's an amount that your audience wants to consume, but consistency helps a lot. I think we will take scheduled breaks at some point, but the goal is to try to do one a week. And we're trying to get into a rhythm of like, we'll record on a certain day and then edit it and get it up. Like I think Tuesday's our posting day. That's cool. I'm actually thinking about changing the posting day of this show, which I'll get into in a future episode, but I think I'm going to go away from Mondays and do it like the middle of the week. Most shows get launched on Monday or Friday. Then there's this huge gap in the middle of the week. And I get the theory behind launching Monday or launching Friday. But I think people don't have like a set listening schedule. They listen to wherever they, whenever they can. And if I can just be, you know, the top of the newest episode list in the middle of the week when they pull up Spotify or, or Apple, like I'm, I'm cool with that. But yeah, uh, less, crowd, less crowded on in the middle of the week with new shows being being released. But I'll talk about that in a future episode. But Tuesdays is good. Yeah, I think for me, when I was like the farming channel and then the camera channel, when I was like, like 100% on it, I was posting like Mondays and Thursdays was kind of my posting schedule. So I was like, yeah, let's do Tuesdays. That's kind of the thought process that there wasn't much thought process for us. <laughs> well, I mean, it's smart if you're doing a video only one too, because, uh, because you want to yeah. launch, you want it to come out when there's not a lot of other videos coming out. Like you, you don't want to be lost in the mix of new videos being launched and um, that's typically, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it feels like. So Tuesday is a good day to launch a video version, I think. Smart. <laughs> it works. It's worked out so far. All right, we'll right? see how it goes. <laughs> so far, yeah, it's been good. All right. So let's get into what our conversation was supposed to be about. <laughs> and it's supposed to be about cameras and whether you can find the right camera for you. Is it actually possible with so many stinking options out there? Um, back in November... Josh and I were texting about a camera dilemma I had. So let me kind of run you through it. I do mainly real estate photography and videography. At the time, I was taking two cameras in my backpack to every job. It was my either Nikon Z6 or Z7, whatever I had in the bag at the time, for photos. And then for video, it was my Blackmagic Pocket 6K. You know, video on that looks great. It's fantastic. But the downside is... It's a different mount, right? So I had not only two cameras, but multiple lenses in the bag. Um, it's an awkward shaped camera, as great as it is. It's a pain to balance on a gimbal. And the video, like it drain the battery drains so fast. So you need a mount, like a V mount to your gimbal. So you got this heavy rig. I mean, it's heavy and awkward just balancing it. So it was a pain. And I had done that for over a year. And it was like, I really just want to simplify things. I want to take one camera and two lenses in my bag, and that is it. I want to be able to take photos, throw it on the gimbal, and know that it's like balanced every time because it's, nothing's changing, and just rock and roll and not have to worry about multiple cameras and having to set everything up a bunch of times. I wanted an easier workflow. But Nikon at the time basically had only one option that 
fit my needs. And it was the Z9. And the Z9 is not, not a cheap camera. It's their flagship camera. It's like 5,500 bucks. And it had a lot of extra features I didn't need. Like I don't need AK30, right? My <laughs> The main thing I wanted is I wanted log and I wanted to be able to do 4K60. So a lot of different options. I started looking at Canon because I already had EF mount lenses because of the black magic. So Canon would be an easy choice. And maybe I just use that for photos too, because I have super wide lenses because of the crop sensor on black magic. So I could theoretically shoot crop and still get a super wide photo and super wide video. But because it's crop, another huge issue is in these homes, they're not lit very well all the time. <laughs> right. And crop sensors don't do well in low light, especially if you want your 4K 60 and you're doubling your frame rate it can get very dark. So Josh recommended Sony. Fantastic, FX30. But my problem with the FX30, 12 megapixels, not really great for photos for real estate. Like you can get away with it, but like it's not the best. And then I start getting into the issue of like, ooh, I gotta, I gotta change everything. I need all new lenses. And then I'm going back to like, do I just do full Sony? Do I split my time between two different systems? So it, there's a lot to consider when choosing a camera. Um, it's almost like you got to get it right the first time and stick with that system, it feels like, because it's expensive to switch. When someone asks you what camera I should get, what is your automatic response? Like, where, where do you start, Josh? I got to know what you're doing. I mean, everyone needs are so different. And you're like you said, there are so many good cameras out there. Like, almost every camera you get, you can make it work. Like some are going to be better than others. And I think that's the big thing. And for you, we talked like extensively about, I was like, like half trying to talk you into Sony because I know like long-term that'll probably make you happier. But in the short term, you got to deal with selling all your gear, buying all new gear. Then you have downtime because you have to figure out how to use right. the gear and get the look that you're looking for. So when you talk about like switching camera brands, it's not like you see on YouTube when people are like, I switched to whatever. Like if you're a working professional, it's really hard to switch camera brands for all those reasons because- You can't you, have downtime. You cannot have downtime. You can't. And like if I handed you a brand new Sony camera, like you can't go and shoot with it tomorrow. Like you have to practice. You have to learn it. I don't even it. know how to turn the thing on probably. <laughs> so you have to spend a couple of weeks learning how to use it and practice. Meanwhile, like you still have a full workload. So like it's really hard to do that. And so we came to the conclusion like you should probably just stick to Nikon at the time being. And how's that been going for you? Like has it been working out? I love that camera. Awesome. It is a fantastic camera. Um, I did have some hiccups. <clears throat> Excuse me. I had some hiccups to start. Because their LUT, their conversion LUT from their, you know, N-Log to Rec. 709, horrible, horrible. Like it's, it does something really funky with the greens and the blues, especially, you know, doing real estate, the greens and the blues are usually uh, pretty hot on the exposure spectrum because they're, they're outside and you're exposing for the inside. And so when you throw that LUT on there, there's just something really weird about them. It almost looks like... I mean, honestly, it looks like they're working in more of like an a Rec 2020 or like HDR kind of like spectrum versus like a Rec 709. Like it just kind of looks funky. But the best solution I found is uh, Cinematch. Okay. Cinematch. Like they've been on the show and I just use Cinematch and I just plug in Nikon Z9 N-Log and match it to Nikon Z9 N-Log and put their conversion LUT on it for Rec 709. And it's great. Like there's hands down or wit is way better than 
the Nikon. So that was that was ma- the major thing for me is like, man, this just looks weird. Like the colors just they they don't look right. They look too intense, and that was that was the biggest learning curve for me. That and the shutter sound is weak. <laughs> like I wish they could do a because there is no real shutter, right? There's no shutter in there, <laughs> right? But it's just a fake sound. But can we get a software update so it just sounds like a little bit more like oomph to it and not so like it just sounds like a little baby camera. <laughs> and you see this thing; it's massive. It's just like such a like wimpy sound. Yeah, it's good to hear about the Nikon system. I don't know many people that shoot on it, and people ask me, and I'm like, I don't know. I haven't used a Nikon. It doesn't. I haven't invested in any of that gear but I pretty much used everything else <laughs> for the most part. So it, it gives a lot of perspective when people ask me. And I do think that the dilemma that you are having with having two systems is, is a struggle for people. I think it is important to try to get on one system if you yeah. can, because sharing lenses, sharing looks, all that kind of stuff. And you need to prioritize. Uh, are you, it's really, it is really hard to find a, a good camera that can do photography just really well and v- video insanely well like that doesn't compromise in either category and it's really comes down to some of the flagships like the nikon z9 does photography insanely well and it does fantastic video i mean ak30 i'll never need that but i can grow with the camera um 4k 120 10-bit which is huge oh my gosh 10-bit is fantastic to work with and you know they're even their flat versus their log is is the, their color science, I think, is great. They don't get enough credit for that. It looks it looks really good. Um, and I just think that a lot of people just don't have experience with Nikon. They haven't really considered them. But the people that have got their hands on the Z9, like Tom and, and Gerald, everyone's had great things to s- say about it. It's just the, they're already ingrained in Sony or someone's already ingrained in, in Canon. And it's hard to make that switch, right? right. Like, they just don't need to. Um, yeah, it's, it's tough. Because the Sony lineup, I feel like with the Sony... It's either you get a camera that does really good video or you can get a camera that does really good photos or they have something in the middle of the road that like is okay at both. I don't feel like they really have a camera that's like it does both at like top level. Am I wrong? Or The A1. The A1. The A1, but at $6,500. So <laughs> that's another whole thing to think about. Yeah, um, yeah so – I mean, I kind of bounce bounce back and forth between Canon and Sony constantly. I'm in both systems, and I use both of them pretty regularly. Uh, for me, in the Sony world, my favorite combo right now is the FX3 and the a7 IV. And the FX3 is great for video, shoots 4K 120, no overheating, insane dynamic range. The a7 IV, in my opinion, I like the image better than the FX3, just slightly, but it's uh, it overheats. <laughs> in 4K 24 if you run it long enough and has crop 4K 60. I see. So I think that's why I didn't consider I know. that because of the crop 4K yep. 60 and because, I mean, it doesn't really have are that you, dual. Are you delivering in, are you delivering in 4K or 1080p? Okay, so let's talk about that. Okay. I would prefer deliver to deliver in 4K. Okay. My videos look great in 4K. I shoot in 4K. But for real estate, they can't really do anything with 4K, right? When you're, when you upload to the MLS, they can't. Like it, it dumbs it down, which is, which is bummer because your work never looks as good as it really is um, because they can't have these large file sizes like 4K. So you need to do 1080 and I think it even gets dumbed down on the MLS to like 720, which is really unfortunate. It is. And so I was struggling with that too because I do all my work in 4K for YouTube, for everything. It's always 4K. I don't even question it anymore. But then I was shooting 
I'm doing some reels and like I just deliver it in 1080 because I'm not going to give the guy a 4K file for Instagram. And so I just started shooting in 1080-60 on the a7 IV because it depends on the camera. Like some cameras, 1080, if you have a 4K camera, some of the 1080 looks great, some of it doesn't. Uh, but like the a7-4's 1080p looks absolutely stellar. So uh, I've been using that lately for real estate, even though like I shoot everything else in 4K. I just, it just use uh, 1080. I'm careful with my framing, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. I love 4K because I can do a little bit more creative things and post with the videos um, because I'm not doing like the generic um, walkthrough videos. I mean, I can, sometimes I do it. It really just depends on the home, but I like to get a little bit more creative with the song edits and, and like having some junk cu- jump cuts and speed ramps and reframing a little bit. And you can do cool stuff with 4K because you have, you have the file size in the room to do that. But yeah, most of the time, 1080 for clients that, and they honestly can't tell the difference, right? If you're not in this yeah. industry and looking at stuff each and every day, you're not going to be able to tell for the most part. So yeah, I had that realization. Like it's, you, I always heard this from people and they're like, yeah, but everyone wants in 1080 anyways. I'm like, but I shoot everything in 4k. It's like, well, you don't necessarily need to. I mean, it's nice to have it. If you do need to reframe or punch in, or like you said, do some transitions or something, you have that option, but you know, don't forget about where you're delivering it in. And once you get there, you're like, oh, this simplifies things. There's a whole bunch more cameras that are available that can shoot 60 frames a second in 1080 that might look decent if you need 1080, if you need 60 frames a second. And that that's true, right? So my my Nikon Z6 and Z7 at the time, I could have just done that, right? Because they shot 60, uh, 60 FPS at, at 1080, yep. uh, but they didn't shoot log and I really wanted log. And I know that adds a huge workflow <laughs> to real estate, especially when you need to turn this stuff over the following morning. Right. But once you start grading and you're, you're saving your own presets and all you got to do is make some like exposure adjustments, biggest key, if you're shooting real estate, have an external monitor that does false color. And that way, no matter which room you're in, your exposure, you can nail your exposure to almost the same in every room. And so when you slap on your presets that you've saved from color grading a bunch of videos, it's going to be pretty dang close because you've nailed the exposure in every room, even if some rooms are darker than others. Um, false color has been huge. And I wish there's not too many cameras that have built in false color. And I, I live and die by false color. Like it's been such, I hate using the histogram false color every day <laughs> for real estate, just to be able to see. Do you always, do you, do you always use an external monitor when you're doing real estate? I do just for that. Okay. So I can see what my exposure is. I, the histogram really doesn't do me like a lot of good because you have all the windows. Those are going to automatically for the most part be blown out. I really care about my shadows and how the walls are looking. I don't want the room to look dark. So you really need to have this like happy medium of exposure in there because even if the room looks dark physically, you don't want it in the video, right? You're trying to make the room look bright and airy and big. So yeah, I always use an external monitor monitor only just for your false color to nail my exposure. Okay. Yeah, I've been using a monitor more because I just can't see the screen on the back of the Sony cameras. It's it's hard. They're terrible. Especially there's, on a gimbal. Like the screen is. gets blocked sometimes. Yeah, and it's a Sony screen and they're terrible. on a, Like on top of being on a gimbal and hard to see, it's like, it's bad. So, um, so yeah. I wanna, Do we want to talk? A, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Uh, Tom, uh, have you listened to Tom's podcast, The Enthusiasm Project? Some of it, yeah, for sure. So he had a great episode. It was like a week or two ago. Um it was his Q and A and someone was talking about Canon, right? Does it make sense? <laughs> I find, I find it really hard unless you're already in the Canon ecosystem or like me, you're already in like the Sony ecosystem. If you're just getting a new camera, I find it hard to recommend Canon if you're doing 
photography and videography because even with their own ecosystem, they don't necessarily play well with each other, especially when it comes to video because it yeah. you'll have uh, C-Log2 in some and not in others. And so like, how do you not have the same log profile in all your cameras that can do video? It just, that kind of blows my mind that you can't match cameras within so, your, your own ecosystem. So lately, like you asked me like- Am I crazy? No, no, you're not crazy. And I will talk about this. Um, and I love talking Canon, Sony, cause that's like Chevy Ford or whatever combination of like things that you like yeah. Gibson Fender, like whatever you want to talk about. Um, like you asked me earlier on, you said like when people ask me what kind of camera to buy, if they're video focused, I generally lately have been steering them away from Canon and I love Canon. I have a soft spot for Canon. I don't think I'll ever give up my Canon. I'll always have at least one Canon camera because I love them. Beautiful color science. Beautiful color science. They have great ergonomics. They're just easy to use. The colors, I mean, yes, you can grade anything if you spend enough time on it. But most of us, like, want to get as good as possible out of camera, especially doing quick turnover stuff like you're talking about or, you know, YouTube content or whatever. So there's the issue of, like, C-Log2 being... I talk about this extensively like every day. I feel like C-Log2 versus C-Log3. But C-Log2, if people are watching or listening, is the highest dynamic range log curve that Canon offers. And they only hold it available in their cinema cameras. So you got to spend at least $5,500 to get C-Log2. And it gives- It's in the C70 though, right? That's what that's the camera I'm talking about. That's <laughs> yeah, $5,500. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's in the C70. So the issue in is with all the mirrorless cameras, they shoot in C-Log3, which is more limited in terms of dynamic range. It's not even competitive with the, with the Sony cameras in terms of dynamic range. But on top of that, all the cameras have different color science because they all have different sensors. So even if you're shooting in C-Log3 on two different Canon cameras, they're going to look a little Oof. different. Oof. Yeah. That's rough. It is That's rough. really rough. Especially if you're mixing like cinema cameras with mirrorless cameras and... So yeah, it gets, it gets complicated, <laughs> but the Sony system is a lot more cohesive for that, for sure. So my, my first question when someone, asked, and this just happened a couple of weeks ago, my barber asked me, he's like, I, I need, I want to get a, a good camera. Like what's a decent camera you can recommend? And I know what he's using it for, right? He's using it to take pictures of the cuts that he does to post on Instagram, maybe some video. So my first question is always, what's your budget? Because, uh, and it, an affordable, decent camera to me is going to be completely different to someone that's not in True. the camera space. So that's usually my first question. And his response, and if he's listening, I'm really sorry for throwing you under the bus. Um, it was two hundred dollars. Okay. <laughs> and so I was like, I can't. Like, I can't recommend anything yeah, for two hundred dollars. Use, use um, your phone at that price point. Go upgrade your phone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he, the phones phones do pretty well if you have decent lighting, right? And barbers do. They got the rain lights and everything in, in their shops, so you can get some good. Um, video and photos out of that. So are you fully in the Sony ecosystem at this point? I know you said you use both, but like your day-to-day -day stuff, you're doing client work now. Are you mainly all in on Sony? No, I'm, f I'm split right now. And okay. like, so I'm shooting on a Sony camera right now. Um, like what, for this what are your video. reasons for being split? I'm, I'm curious. Why would you want to be split? Um, I'm going to be honest because it's the only way I know how to be is partly it's my YouTube channel that I do review gear in multiple on multiple brands. And so I want to be invested in both. I don't want to be a Sony channel, a Canon channel, a whatever channel. Um, and it also gives you a lot of perspective into how cameras work and operate. And I think the more experience you have with different brands, 
the better you'll be as a videographer because you'll understand it, it, the camera won't matter so much anymore, right? Because you like you understand sort of beyond that, like it's just a tool that you're using. And there's different tools for different jobs. So for me personally, like my client work, what I'm doing right now, I'm using Sony cameras because they have more dynamic range and the autofocus is just slightly better. Um, on a personal level, they're not my favorite cameras. So that's why I still have a Canon camera, uh, but it's the right tool for the right job. There's some things where Canon really excels at. Like for me personally, in my life, I've been doing some wildlife videography. And for that, Canon is so much better. I don't know why, but it is so much better than the Sony system. So there's like pros and cons of both. You know what I mean? Um, and there really is. There is. And, and that's why I'm kind of in both because I love both. And it also helps with my channel. So that's a big part of it. Yep. So going back to my camera dilemma, let's talk about why I finally settled on the Z9, right? Well, okay. 4K... 4K 60 and 4K 120, which was a plus. I don't use uh, 120 that often, but maybe for some exterior stuff. Actually, here's here's a hot take, and some people might disagree. The biggest thing that's actually improved the look of my real estate videos is ditching the ND filter for exterior shots and cranking the shutter. Because I don't care about motion blur on exterior shots. I mean, I don't care about motion blur in real estate videos, right, at all. And it just ND filters just give such a, you can get a great one, but you're going to have color shift and it's difficult to get rid of, especially in the blues and the greens. So cranking that shutter and keeping like a natural look, <laughs> you know, color wise, fantastic. So I crank my shutter all the time on exterior shots. So I've, how about you when you're doing exterior shots for, for your uh, clients? I've, ex I've experienced with, I, I definitely experimented with this because um, my buddy, Chris Brockhurst was like, he's like, D just don't even bother with the ND filter. Cause he cranks his shutter like all just the time anyways. It. Sorry, I'll throw Chris under the bus, but I think he's admitted to this like several times. He's like, I don't care. Crank it. Crank it. Uh, I am very strict with, with the shutter. And so I do lock it in at double the frame rate and then use an ND filter. Like I'm just, I just feel like I'm doing something wrong when I break that rule. So I just stick to it. Now I did make a few reels where I was like, I'll try this out. And I don't think I noticed the difference. Like even me staring at oh, my- man, I know, I know, I notice it so much. Even in like when you're filming in 60 frames a second? Yeah, I'm talking about the color shift. Oh, I oh, oh the color no, 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 I'm talking about, sorry, we'll talk about that too. But for the actual like shutter speed, I don't think I noticed the difference when you're in slow motion. Oh, not at all. And so- Not at all, especially when you're shooting like a stationary object, like a house. Yes. I mean, the only way you're gonna, if it's windy, the trees, but you're slow motion, like you're not- Yeah, and so I did that because I was like, all right, no color shift. Um, I found some ND filters that I really like that don't have much of a shift, so that's what I've been using. But I still wanna experiment a little bit more with just using the shutter. And it's not really a big deal because like a lot of exterior stuff, you're at like F8 anyways, so like it's fairly dark and like, you know, you're not cranking the shutter to like, 4,000 or something, you're at like 500 or 600 or something. At least that's what I found. Yeah. So yeah, I've been experimenting with it, but I know I've, I've been happy with the images I've been getting. So I've been using the ND filter, but nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I cranked the shutter going back to the Z9 um, and I didn't have to switch systems, right? Yeah. I had all the lenses yeah. for it already. Um, I had another Nikon. So now I have two cameras with different sensors, but the color science is not like the difference between them is, is unnoticeable. Unlike Canon. Um, so I can match them if I'm, I'm shooting in flat. So I, I didn't have any downtime. I, I, I dreaded having to sell everything yeah. and piece together a new system when I had work every day. It, it just was a nightmare. So that was what was best for me. 
how can someone determine what's best for them? What, what are the steps you would recommend someone going through? Like, I need a new camera and I don't know what to get. I know the first question is, well, what are you doing? Right. And how but much you have to spend? That, and how much you have to spend? <laughs> Well, yeah. And even that, like depending. Okay. So if they're the average person and they're just looking to just shoot stuff, like they're not a professional photographer, they're not making a living on it. My first question would be, well, what's your budget? Right. Yeah. But if you are a professional making money doing video or photography, honestly, budget will probably be my last question. Yep. I'm going to ask about your needs and here's all the cameras that fit your needs. Are any of these in your budget? Yes or no. If not, well, these are the ones that fit your need. Why don't you wait and save some money so you can get what you actually need? Money is usually going to be the last thing to ask if someone's actually making money with their camera because you need the right tool regardless of what it costs. Yeah, and so to me, it's always – that's why you ask me. I always ask people because I'm dealing with, I think, a lot of content creators and professionals, and there are some hobbyists that hit me up for advice too, but I think a lot of people are in that world where they're starting to make money or thinking about trying to make money with their cameras and – that's the thing is these are professional tools. Like you don't like when you go to buy a cordless drill or you go to buy a saw, like you buy the thing that you need. Like these are tools that we need for our job. So if there's certain things that you need, like if you need uncropped 4K60 that doesn't overheat, like there's only a few options out there, you know? And so you look through that and go, if this is the most important feature that I can't live without, then I have to make one of these work and I have to figure out the lenses that work. I have to figure out the pricing. Um, those are the things you that you know, have to, I have to think about like for a while, I didn't care about crop 4k 60 cause I wasn't doing real estate. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't care if this right. is for B roll, like whatever, I'll just back up a little bit. But like, yep. once you need 60 frames a second in full frame, then it changes the game for you. For example, it's really true. So make a list of what your priorities are for me, right? It was, it needs to be able to take pictures, which every camera can do and, and do decently. Um, so, but I didn't want something that was 12 meg megapixels. I yeah, needed, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, 25, 26 plus megapixels. So it just, it looks good on a screen. Um, and you have some playroom to crop in if you need to, to crop out walls or, you know, whatever you need to. Um, and then 4k 60 for real estate was an absolute must. I needed 4k 60. Like if it didn't do 4k 60, it, I couldn't even consider it. So you really do need to consider what your what's most important to you and make a list of like an order of importance. If you're just doing photos, Maybe, you know, megapixel count and uh, how many how many photos it can take a second yep. is probably going to be the two that you're going to consider. If you're doing video, then it's going to be color science probably. I would think first and – well, maybe first dynamic and foremost. Range. Dynamic range. Dynamic you know? range is number one for me, yeah. And then uh, frame rates. Like what can it, what can it shoot in, in 4K and start considering that and consider – what you want to end up doing. Maybe you're not doing it now, but what do you eventually want to do? And pick a camera that you can grow with because there's always new cameras. And if you want to stay up to date, you're just going to go broke. Yeah. So you need a camera that can grow with you. And the advice I always like to give with that decision is when you're buying a camera, think about the ecosystem that you're buying into. I say this a lot in my videos, right. like really think about the lenses. And I think a lot of times what I've seen is the lenses almost dictate which camera to buy in certain situations. Um, like I know if you're shooting sports and wildlife, like you're probably going to pick a lens before you pick a camera for the most part, right? Cause that's a very yeah. specific thing that you need it for. Now, if you are talking about, all right, so I want to be in the Canon system, for example, but I'm doing real estate. Like there's only a couple lenses you could really use, you know, that are going <laughs> to, so like you have to see if those are going to work for you. 
Um, and that's why I wind up steering a lot of people to Sony because their lens ecosystem is just so vast. And it's shared between Sony, Sigma, Tamron, and there's just so many options and different affordability options. So like if you're getting in and you have a smaller budget, you can maybe buy a couple of third-party options. And as you progress, you could probably buy some G Masters or you can buy some more higher level stuff. And as you said, like you can grow into the system a little bit. Yeah. And uh, you know, the decision has gotten hard because there are so many great cameras out there. Yes. And the difference between them is so <laughs> small now. Yes. I mean, Tom talked about this in his latest episode about like the difference between beginner gear and like, you know, pro gear. There is, once you get to a certain price point, like diminishing return, like, you know, the difference between, you know, a $900 camera and a $2,200 uh, $2, camera, huge difference. You're going to notice that immediately. But then when you start getting like 22 to like, you know, you start getting that three to four grand range, like, yeah, there's going to be some differences, but it's not going to be as big of a jump between that like eight, $900 camera than it was to that $2,200 camera. Um, and, you know, I'm scrolling through the chat now and like, uh, Raphael brought a good point. Like it's hard to choose a good ca camera now because it's almost as hard as finding a good monitor. There's so many good monitors out there to choose from and they all do essentially the same thing. It's kind of just like, what is your taste? That's very difficult. Yeah. Raphael and I have had many chats about, <laughs> about cameras as well. <laughs> <laughs> trying to coach him through that too. So yeah, there's, there's a lot to think about for sure. And as you said, like once you get above like $2,000, like Cameras are all real similar. And like, I just posted a video this week about the new Lumix S5 Mark II, comparing it with the Canon R6 Mark II. And it's like, they're so similar. Like there's a few things one way or the other, and you got to figure out what's better for you. But uh, think about really more about the ecosystem, the lenses and uh, and that sort of stuff, because I think that's what's going to matter more in the long term. I'd rather see someone invest in a lens that really works for them, that's really high quality. What's the saying? You you, uh, you marry your lenses, but you date your bodies. Have you heard that before? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard something similar. Yeah. Right? And there's definitely some um, truth to that. Because your lenses are going to last a lot longer. They will. Right. Than your camera bodies. Um, and if you want to know, like, here's a good rule of thumb too. Um, if you want to look at what lasts longer in like in your gear, look at rental houses, right? Camera bodies, pretty expensive to rent because they don't have a long shelf life. But lenses, lights, grip gear, all that fairly inexpensive to rent because they last way longer. And so they can wait to get their, their return on investment with camera bodies. You got to get that return like within a year because the next year there's going to be a brand new, brand new, uh, body. All right. And so. a couple of other things I'd, I'd, I'd recommend is, uh, feel free to rent stuff if you want to try it out. Absolutely. Um, that's a great option. Another one is I try to buy used gear whenever I can. And when you buy used gear, just be really careful, get it in really good condition. You generally get what you pay for when you sell it. Like if you are careful with your gear and don't destroy it. Uh, I've bought and sold gear for the same or sometimes more money than I bought it for if you're careful. So not necessarily with bodies because they depreciate pretty quickly, but lenses for sure. Yeah. Lenses last a, a long time. Well, a lot to consider. We've probably only scratched the surface because we could talk about this forever and everyone's needs is are different. So that's really what it comes down to is, is what are you doing? What do you need out of a camera and kind of go from there. And and I'll have to say also that there's a lot of paralysis by analysis because the gear reviews online is overwhelming. You'll be sitting, you'll go down a rabbit hole for 50 or hundred hours, like comparing one camera to the next and then something else you find out. And then 
just you got to start with something. Um, as I said, if you are buying used, that helps. Maybe you can rent it. Maybe you can find a buddy and like borrow some stuff or go and shoot some stuff with them. Uh, the other thing to consider is if you wind up shooting with other people often, you're collaborating on stuff. Sometimes it's nice to be in the same system because you can share lenses, you can share bodies, you can match footage easily. Uh, you could, you know, be a second cam op for them for for some shoot or something if you have the same gear. It's really helpful too. So there's so much to consider with it, but you can't really go wrong now nowadays, Jared. Like everything's so good. <laughs> it is. It is really good. And consider, like you've brought out this point multiple times, but considering the ecosystem is really important, especially when it comes to when you're ready to to upgrade or get a new camera. If you're invested in an ecosystem that is popular, and when I say ecosystem, not just lenses, but the community around that system, right? There's so many more Sony shooters than there are Nikon. It's going to be much easier to sell your Nikon camera. I mean, your your Sony camera down the road when you're ready to upgrade than it is to sell your Nikon. That was one thing me and you talked yes. about when, when it came. It's much harder to sell a Nikon than it is a Sony because so many people suit, uh, shoot Sony. Like right now, I'm selling my Ursa G2. Much harder to sell because not too many people shoot black magic. Yep. Not too many people need a cinema camera. And the price point on that, it's hard to sell an expensive camera used because when you start getting to that upper price point, the people that can't afford it might just want to get it new. So some things to consider about. Yeah, the the, re, the resale, it's nothing you should like consider like when you're buying, if it's the right tool for the right job, like, right. but you're, it's true, like reselling certain brands, like you said, black magic. Back of your mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fuji, um, maybe Panasonic to some extent too. Like there's not as many people using those cameras, so there's less people buying them. Well, Josh, I won't keep you. I know you have a shoot to get to <laughs> because uh, you're three hours ahead of me right now. So it's like the afternoon and it's still not even 10 a.m. here. So it's, it's all good. I, I, I know this house, like I have to shoot in the afternoon just where the sun is. So um, it, I was planning an afternoon shoot anyways. <laughs> That's good. That's good. All right, man. Well, I will let you go. Um, stay on the back end real quick when the stream's over. We'll catch up uh, on a couple things. But hey, I appreciate your time and thanks for, uh, thanks for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Jared. Of course, of course. Well, guys, if you enjoyed this, don't forget to give it a thumbs up on YouTube. Rate the show on Apple Podcasts, five stars. Give it a thumbs up emoji. I appreciate it. And for some of you asking in the chat, was this really live? Yes, and we were not using Riverside FM. If you've listened to this show in the past, you know I had a bit of a disaster trying Riverside FM out. And so it's not something I can recommend, but I know some people do and it's worked for some people. But if you're wondering how we're going live with this, I'm using Ecamm Live. It works with uh, Macs only and you don't have to go live with it. I use it to record videos all the time and just the podcast because I don't do this live all the time. Fantastic system, uh, fantastic application. If you want to check it out, there's a link down in the description and a promo code that save you some cash if you want to try it out. But they have a, a free trial, so go check it out. As always, I appreciate your support and I will talk to you in the next episode. Thank you.